Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Mommy makeover. You may have heard the term bandied about in the media, but what is it exactly? Is it always the same procedure? Well, earlier episode 16 of this podcast gives an easy-to-understand overview of the basics of our topic, so do explore that at some point. But in this episode of Plastic Surgery Decoded, we speak with Dr. Camille Cash, practicing in Houston, who gives her take on the subject, sharing her expertise. She helps answer many questions that people have and covers who's a candidate for mommy makeover and what can be done. Also, how the focus of mommy makeover has expanded to address some often forgotten about body parts. And she explains the best amount of time to wait after delivering a baby or after nursing before embarking on procedures to restore and reshape the body. Here's our conversation. One of the many benefits of gathering for National Plastic Surgery Meetings is getting the opportunity to meet and get to know fellow plastic surgery colleagues from around the country. And that's how I got to meet Dr. Camille Cash, a very accomplished and sought-after surgeon in Houston, Texas. And she's quite skilled in the topic we're discussing today. Dr. Cash went to Baylor College of Medicine and completed her plastic surgery training with some legends in plastic surgery in Houston, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Camille Cash. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And could you give the listeners an idea of the scope or nature of your practice? So I've been in private practice for 20 years. My practice has gradually evolved to doing 100% cosmetic surgery. I do a lot of uh, breast and body surgery, as well as non-surgical rejuvenation for the face. Um, Also do vaginal rejuvenation, surgically and non-surgically. So I really have focused on cosmetic or aesthetic plastic surgery and doing a lot of uh, mommy makeovers, Um, I kind of talk about the ultimate mommy makeover where we're addressing all of the needs for for our women um, patients. Great. We're looking forward to getting into that. So let me first ask you, though, what drew you to plastic surgery? When I was in high school, my mother and I were touring colleges, and this is a story that I tell quite frequently. Um, When we were touring schools, she actually got hit by a car. Oh, terrible. She's alive and she's well to this day. But we were in Washington, D.C., and my father was in Houston, Texas, and this was in the 80s where cell phones didn't exist. And quite naturally, I was completely freaked out and in shock. My mother went to the hospital, and while they were tending to her, 
I looked over in a treatment room and I saw a man with a mangled hand and I was instantly attracted to this man and I stopped thinking about my mother and I really was asking myself what happened to him and what are they going to do to fix it and that was my first inclination I was like that's kind of odd you shouldn't be interested in somebody's hand that's just mangled without being kind of freaked out I was I was 16 at the time you're fascinated huh I was fascinated and I was fascinated about how are they going to fix it what are they going to do and so that was my first inclination that I wanted to be a doctor or go to medical school. And once I got to medical school, I really enjoyed anatomy and I was very drawn to surgery. And I wanted to be the kind of doctor that went to the operating room and fixed things. And I, throughout my medical school training, looked at various fields, but nothing felt quite right. Um, and I ended up kind of doing some research in orthopedic surgery, but ultimately I started a one-year general surgery internship at St. Joseph Hospital in Houston, Texas, where I did get to work with legends like Dr. Raymond Brower and Dr. Tom Biggs and Dr. Ernest Cronin and Dr. Benjamin Cohen. And immediately I was exposed to plastic surgery on a whole different level than I saw in medical school. I got to see burn reconstruction, facial reconstruction, breast reconstruction, and I got to see a lot of cosmetic or aesthetic plastic surgery. And that was my aha light bulb. This is it. This is what's getting my engine revved up. This is what I'm excited about and passionate about. And, and that's how I started on this journey. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, you know, as we train in plastic surgery, we become very familiar with anatomy, body contour, and the underlying causes for it to change. Could you briefly describe some of the physical changes that women may see during pregnancy and after delivery or nursing? Sure. So when a woman, you know, goes through this amazing experience of, of, of creating life, um, we definitely have changes. Our breasts enlarge, our stomach enlarges, the muscles of our abdominal wall separate to accommodate the growing uterus in the baby. Then afterwards, um, when the baby is removed, we sometimes are left with extra skin that was stretched after the pregnancy. In addition, there may be separation of the muscles after delivery of the baby if those rectus muscles, you know, those six-pack muscles don't go back together. So that can contribute to kind of a poochy or a, a floppy appearance to the abdominal wall that doesn't improve no matter how much exercise one does. And then the breasts are a different situation. If a woman breastfeeds, you know, depending on how long they're breastfeeding, your, your breasts are, you know, become filled with milk. You breastfeed, they become deflated. Then they fill with milk and you breastfeed and they become deflated. And you're going through that process many times a day over and over again for sometimes weeks, months, or even a year or longer. And so after some time, that can take a toll on a woman's body. And we give birth and we give life to our, our children, but at the same time, we sacrifice a little bit about our, about our physique in raising them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, an increasingly popular type of surgery is nicknamed the mommy makeover. But contrary to what the public may think, it's not just a singular procedure, is it? Could you describe what types of surgeries might fall into the category of mommy makeovers? Sure, mommy makeover is just a term that was used 
to talk about um, doing a surgery, one single surgical setting, to address the body parts of a woman that were most impacted by pregnancy. And that means typically breast and body. But more frequently, I am also talking to my patients and addressing another area, which is the vaginal area. That also goes through a lot of changes with a pregnancy and delivery. So a mommy makeover is simply a generic term that is used to mean that we're going to address multiple areas of a woman's body that are typically affected by a pregnancy, breast, body, and for me also vaginal. Mm -hmm. And what about other areas of the body, refinement of the contour of other areas like liposuction around the hips and that sort of thing? Sure. That also can mean, you know, you know, liposuction of the hips, the thighs, um, you know, arms, anything that has changed, you know, with a woman's body through pregnancy. Um, but also the reality is you don't necessarily have to be a mom to have some of these changes. You know, women can go through a variety of, of life changes, um, regardless of whether or not they've truly had a baby. They can gain weight, lose weight, go through a natural aging process, and find that their breasts have started to sag, or their tummy's not as tight as they used to, or they're carrying a little bit of extra around the hips and the thighs. And so the mommy makeover, again, is just a generic term that we use to describe the procedures to address these areas. And so if we're talking about the breast, it could be a procedure in which we enlarge the breast, meaning we use a breast implant. It could be a procedure where we lift the breast, called a mastopexy, where we're getting rid of that droopy tissue and reshaping the breast. And a mastopexy or a breast lift can also be done with a breast implant. So you can also enlarge and lift your breast at the same time. And then there's a number of women who have large breasts that want those breasts reduced. And so that could be a breast reduction. And so the possible procedures to address just the breasts are numerous and they're individual. And I always tell my patients, if you're having a breast reduction, you're also getting a breast lift. And if you're getting a breast lift, you may or may not need an implant to make the shape of the breast better. So I tailor it to each individual person. That's wonderful. And what about options for addressing the trunk or the abdomen, what can be done there? So it's usually a combination of liposuction and skin removal surgery. And so that could be in the form of a formal tummy tuck, a full tummy tuck, where there's an incision from hip bone to hip bone and around the belly button, where all of the skin of the abdominal wall is elevated, you know, so the skin and the fat is released from the underlying muscle. And during a full tummy tuck, I'm able to tighten the abdominal wall bring those rectus muscles back together, recreate the integrity of the abdominal wall from the top of the abdomen all the way down to the bottom. So if you, if you think about the bone that's right in between your breasts, we call that the xiphoid process. It's the bottom of the breast bone or the sternum. And then there's another bony prominence right at your pubic bone. And so we're tightening the abdominal wall from the breastbone all the way down to the pelvis to really reconstruct and tighten and contour that abdominal wall. Now some patients will have a baby and their abdominal wall may be completely fine and their rectus muscle has come back together. And then there's some women who've had one pregnancy and that's really disrupted their abdominal wall. 
So if I have a patient that has a really disrupted abdominal wall, then a full-time tuck may be a consideration. But if patients have really just a little bit of extra skin in the lower abdomen, it may be just what we call a mini tuck or a lower tuck, meaning I'm just removing skin from the lower part of the abdomen without cutting around the belly button or addressing the upper abdomen. That's nice to have options, just like anything, and that's the beauty of being a plastic surgeon where you can really tailor the operation to what the patient needs. Uh, and excellent point about how women who have never had children may benefit from these procedures as well. Well, let me now ask you, um, have you noticed any shifting trends in the types of postpartum, meaning after childbearing procedures that are requested over the years you've been in practice, whether that's from changing trends in aesthetic tastes, or maybe as newer technologies in plastic surgery become available? Definitely. There's always an evolution in plastic surgery, and that's the beauty of plastic surgery. It's to be fluid um, and to understand trends, but also for me, it's to be true to my aesthetic. And so although the trends in plastic surgery have evolved, you know, I, tr I, I tend to be a physician that embraces natural results, and I really tailor the procedures to what my patients want and not what I perceive them to want. Or, you know, really, I'm a doctor that will listen to the patients and understand what their needs are. Um, and I'll try to guide them and give them the best options, but ultimately, I want them to make the decision which direction they'd like to go. But one of the trends that we're seeing, of course, uh, through the years, I think many years ago, really large breast implants were in vogue. We really seeing women with very large chests and that trend has definitely turned since, you know, I've been in practice the last probably five to 10 years. We've noticed women that are downsizing their breast implants. Then we also may have women that are now deciding after a number of years that they want their implants removed. And that's fine. You know, we, we adjust our um, procedure to the patient's needs and desires. So that's the trend that I'm seeing in, in breast surgery. You know, smaller breasts, definitely more natural looking breasts are definitely more of a trend than maybe they were 10 or 20 years ago when large breasts were really in vogue. And, you know, I'm in Texas and I was uh, trained with Dr. Biggs who helped to develop the modern day breast implant. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen the trends going from, you know, in the beginning, in the 60s, they were using very small implants, 200 cc's, 300 cc's, very modest. Then we got to a point where we had um, doctors that were overfilling saline implants over a thousand cc's or two thousand cc's. If you think about, you know, very busty, voluptuous women like Anna Nicole Smith, um, you think, mm -hmm. of course, everybody thinks about Dolly Parton. Um, but we had a period when that was that was a trend for some women, not all women. And now I think the average breast implant size that I'm going to be using is around four hundred cc's, maybe 385. Sometimes I'm going to go larger and sometimes I'll go smaller, but definitely smaller breasts are in. But women want natural. Women want shapely, but they don't necessarily need extra large breasts. And how about the advent of fat grafting? And for the listeners, that's the concept of taking fat out from a certain area and placing it back into a, a different area where it's desired especially with the trend for larger, fuller buttocks? Are you 
you uh, recycling some of that lovely fat that you're removing? And so that, of course, is a huge new trend, is the um, fat transfers to the buttocks, um, the Brazilian butt lift, which, you know, the Brazilians have asked us to stop calling it that. Um, so we're trying to use the term gluteal augmentation with fat grafting. And that is a huge trend where, yes, a woman can come in and have the fat removed from one part of their body and then re-injected into their buttocks. And that trend is hot and heavy right now, and we're seeing a great demand for it. Um, I do some fat grafting in my practice. It's not a huge part of my practice, but I know others where that is, that is what they do. That is their trend. And so I do, um, I see the popularity. I think that um, women, and I really want the public to be aware of some of the safety concerns that we have with this very popular procedure. And I think it's, you know, it's important and it's vital for, for patients to understand who's doing the procedure, what type of physician they are, what their training is, and what the potential risks and complications can be from any procedure that they're undergoing. So yes, Brazilian butt lifts, fat grafting to the buttocks is very popular. Um, we have women that are getting very, very sculpted um, and having, you know, small to medium to extra large, you know, uh, gluteal augmentations. And this is a trend, of course, that I think is popularized by some of the uh, celebrities that we see on social media or in the, in the kind of entertainment industry. Um, you know, we've got, uh, obviously, anybody from, you know, Jennifer Lopez to, of course, the Kardashian crew. Nicki Minaj, you know, Cardi B, and those are just the celebrities that are kind of recognized by a lot of people. But then you have social media people that that is their thing. It's just extra large gluteal mm -hmm. augmentation. It's a current trend, and I think it's a trend that will be interesting to follow. Let's see what happens. And I forgot to ask you earlier, but I think the listeners would be interested. Could you please describe some of the vaginal rejuvenation procedures you can perform? I am not an OBGYN, so what I'm doing is really addressing some sexual function and laxity and cosmetic appearance of the vaginal region. So for women that may have uterine prolapse and, and things of that nature, they should really see an OBGYN. But what I'm doing is, from a surgical standpoint, um, a labiaplasty, which is just the removal of the excess skin and tissue of the labia minora. For a slang term, it's the lips of the vaginal tissue that may be elongated over time after pregnancy. That can occur. And I also will do a surgical vaginoplasty, which is to tighten the vaginal introitus, the vaginal canal um, that can also become stretched after pregnancy or with time and, and aging to create a tighter vaginal canal that will help with sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. Those can be done surgically, but there's also some treatments that I'm very excited about in my practice that are non-surgical, that don't involve incisions, cutting, and healing. So we use radio frequency devices. Radio frequency is just a fancy term for heat energy that's generated by an electrical machine. So Heat energy is applied to the tissue safely and comfortably. We're not burning tissue, but we're heating it up gradually to create collagen remodeling and tightening. And this can work quite well in the vaginal region. 
and I will use that to do a non-surgical labioplasty, uh, some vaginal tightening, and these procedures can not only improve the appearance of the vaginal tissue, it can also help with dryness, it can help with tightness, it can help with urge incontinence, a little mild stress urinary incontinence that can develop not only just after pregnancy, but as a woman ages and goes through menopause and starts to lose some of their estrogen. So these are changes that women are having in their body every day. Um, and I'm just excited to be able to add those treatments for women to address this area that is sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes forgotten. Correct. But I have the privilege of being able to talk to women when they're in their most vulnerable state. And I don't take that lightly or I'm not cavalier about that because it takes a lot of strength to enter a plastic surgeon's office and say, look at my imperfections, look at my insecurities and fix me. Mm -hmm. And there has to be trust too. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of trust. And so I'm grateful to my patients for giving me that trust. And I don't take it lightly. I do have the unique opportunity while they're discussing their breasts or their tummy to ask about the vaginal area, because like you said, it's sometimes forgotten and not talked about. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I'm curious, for the non-surgical radiofrequency treatments, do those have to be repeated or is it one and done? Or Some of the treatments can be a one-time treatment and you can get some nice improvement. But again, it's not surgery. You're gonna have some improvement and we typically will tell patients to get our complete package. We're gonna to have to do at least two to three, sometimes six treatments um, in a setting. And that may be spaced over about a six to eight week period of time. And then what my expectation is that you should benefit from those treatments for a year or two, and then you may need to come back in for some additional treatments, especially, especially if we're addressing vaginal tightness or urinary incontinence. Makes sense. Uh, shifting gears, how often do you do what we might consider a mommy makeover? I'm assuming the majority of your patients are female, and how often are you treating someone after having children? So 90% of my patients are women, and I would probably say 95% of my surgical patients are women. And I will do a, a true mommy makeover at least once a week. And then I will do portions of a mommy makeover at least four to five times a week. So I operate two to three days a week, and on any given operative day, I may have one surgery, or I may have three, or I may have four surgeries. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing a quote-unquote mommy makeover, where it's breast and typically body, that's, that's at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And then I may be doing you know breast surgery by itself on women, or tummy tuck by itself on women, so kind of a half mommy makeover two to three times a week, for sure. It's a lot. It's a lot. Do you think there's a limit to how much you can safely do in one operative setting? Do you ever recommend staging things, which means breaking up the procedure into multiple operative time periods? Definitely. I think that there is an opportunity to do as many procedures in one setting that you can do safely, but then there's also a need to just set realistic expectations and, and stage those procedures or break them up. So I just had a patient that came in um, the other day. She had a, a serious weight loss and she'd already had her breast and her tummy done. And she actually, actually had her thighs done as well. 
and she wanted to re redo her breast and her tummy because she's lost more weight. And she wanted to do her hips and her back and her thighs and things of that nature. And I, and I, I said, let's just concentrate on your breasts and your tummy because that's going to be a long enough procedure. And then you also want to make sure that as a surgeon, I'm providing the utmost attention to detail when I'm doing my procedures. So the idea of let's get you in, let's do every procedure, let's do it quickly and sew you up, you know, that can be attractive for some patients. But I think that you also have to set limits because you want, I really want to deliver the best outcome for patients that's possible. And so sometimes I might say to my patients, if they're a major weight loss patient, let's start with everything that we can do with you in a supine position. And that means the person is lying on their back during the whole procedures. And I'll say, hey, let's do arms, breast, tummy, and a little bit of liposuction in that setting. And then come back and we'll do, you know, the gluteal lift or the thigh lift at a separate procedure. On the opposite side. And then sometimes I'll have like a man that will come in and they've got the spare tire all the way around. And I'm like, okay, we're going to dress the front and the back in one setting because it makes sense. I try to evaluate each individual patient to figure out what their body needs and how much we can do and how much we can do safely. Mm -hmm. But patient safety is first and foremost. That's excellent. Well, how long should a woman wait after delivering or after nursing before you consider it appropriate to embark on a mommy makeover? I would like my patients to be at least six months out from delivering their baby. And the reason for that is it gives the body a chance to go back, to recover from 10 months of hormones and delivery and nursing and um, vaginal or a c-section delivery because it will take your uterus some time to retract it takes at least six to eight weeks for your uterus to go back to you know it's pre baby shape it also takes sometimes three to six months for women to just recover their physical body losing the baby weight um, balancing breastfeeding and you know their day-to-day -day activity um, and it just takes a little bit of time. I also want patients to be in a mental space where they're ready to undergo a surgical procedure. So I like my patients to wait at least six months after having a baby and at least three months after nursing a baby. And what would you tell a patient about proceeding with surgery if she plans to become pregnant again? So if I have a patient that is interested in mommy makeover type procedures, maybe she's had two children and hasn't closed the door on a future pregnancy, we'll talk about, is this the appropriate time for you to have surgery? If it's a breast surgery, how might this breast procedure affect your ability to breastfeed in the future? It may or it may not, but there's no way if we're doing a breast lift or a breast reduction, there's no way that I can guarantee that a woman will be able to breastfeed after those types of procedures. So it's not a deal breaker in terms of doing a breast procedure. The patients just need to understand the pros and the cons and what they may or may not be able to do after a breast surgery in terms of breastfeeding. In terms of the tummy tuck of a patient, I've had women that would have been young, they've lost a lot of weight and they've got the extra skin. And I'll talk to them about doing a tummy tuck. But during the tummy tuck, I'll leave the abdominal wall muscle. I won't tighten it. 
and I'll just remove the extra skin. So women can have a reduction of the soft tissue or the skin and the fat, but I'm not tightening that muscle because that muscle then is ready for a future pregnancy. You know, because these, you know, plastic surgery, if I'm doing a mommy makeover, it doesn't mean that you can't get pregnant in the future. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not impacting your ability to get pregnant. So patients just, I do talk to them about, hey, if you're going through this, have you, have you, have you thought about having children? And especially, you know, right now you have to understand what, um, what can happen if you get pregnant. So I'll talk to them about birth control. I'll talk to them about family planning. It's no, it's not my decision whether or not they should have a child in the future, but they just need to understand that their body, you know, may need to be tweaked again if they have another pregnancy and they gain weight, if they breastfeed. So the surgery may need to be adjusted after that future pregnancy. So particularly if someone thought they were finished having children and you did everything you possibly could to tune them up and then they have an unplanned pregnancy, they can probably expect some possible need for revision. I think everybody's individual, but yes, there's there's probably going to be some stretching of the of the tissues, the, you know, depending on how much weight they gain and how big their baby is, and if they breastfeed, certainly we may be talking about doing some revisions if, if desired in the future. Well, in general, do you think there are some misconceptions that the general public may have about body contour changing procedures, whether it's expectations or recovery or technique or? You know, one of the things that I tell my patients is that it's plastic surgery, but it's still surgery. Mm-hmm. that they have to respect the fact that there are potential risks and complications. There's a limit to what I can do. But most importantly, patients really need to understand that there is a recovery process with this and that they can't just rush back out and do normal activities or rush back to work. So I really lay out with patients, especially women that have children at home, now I expect you to rest and recover I expect you not to do any heavy lifting for six weeks until your incisions heal. So I talk to them about who's going to take care of the children, who's going to take care of you, how are you going to manage. The first couple of weeks are going to be the most challenging where you can't be the primary caregiver for your children. You can't be the only one. You need help. And so husband, fathers, aunts, uncles, grannies, friends will have to step in to help as that woman recovers from surgery. And, and that's part of discussing, is this the best time for you to do your mommy makeover? But I think that's one thing that I really tell patients to set expectations so that there's not a misconception. It is plastic surgery, but it is still surgery, and you have to respect the healing process. Especially since this is completely elective, you're paying money for it, so you want the best possible outcome, so you have to factor in recovery time. And I think another misconception can be that plastic surgery is like how I tell patients, I'm not a magician and I do not have a time machine. I cannot, I cannot take you back, unfortunately or fortunately, I can't take you back to where you were when you were 25. I can work with what I have and I can make you the best possible you, but I can't necessarily make a 45-year-old her 25-year-old self. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. That's wise advice. Well, you know, uh, both of us know how much work uh, 
mommy makeover is for us as surgeons, but tell the listeners, please, what do you enjoy about doing them? Yeah, they are, they are long surgeries, but what I enjoy, so I enjoy physically doing surgery. When you're in there and you are operating and you're creating shape and you're creating lift and you're changing something. Remember I said when I was, I wanted to be a kind of doctor that went to the operating room to fix things. So doing that, physically doing that is a lot of fun. And then sometimes you get to the point where you're like, wow, this is uh, long surgery. Um, and you kind of take a break and you regroup and you go back in there and you go and you just continue the process. And it's, it's a process, but I tell patients, it's like a marathon. You know you're going to go and you're going to pace yourself and you're going you're gonna to have all the tools that you need to be set up to be successful. And you're just going to mentally block out the time and just, and just do it. So I really enjoy being in the operating room and watching, you know, especially breasts, you know, come to change and be lifted and, and shapely. But then the second part is you're in the office and patients come back, not necessarily at one week, because at one week you're still in pain and you're, you're wondering why you did this. That's right. <laughs> and, you're, and you're like, I'm like, it's like, you might not like me now, but you'll love me in six weeks. <laughs> so in six weeks, when patients come back and sometimes it's three months and they come back and they're like, I'm going on this vacation. I have this bathing suit. I'm wearing this bathing suit and I feel so good about myself. I've had women that say my, my husband can't keep his hands off of me and it's, you know, brings back their sex life and their intimacy. And I have women that are just feeling empowered because they feel like they can see themselves again, that they, we tend to women, we, we give so much to our children that we sometimes can lose ourselves. And so it's really exciting to see women that come back and they say, I, I'm me again. I, I feel myself and they're confident and they're sexy and they're, they're just feeling empowered. And so having that is so great. And sometimes it comes at six weeks. But I recently had a patient that came back two years later. And she said, you know what? I'm so excited. I look great. I've lost weight. You told me to stop smoking or stop doing this. And I, and I stopped for surgery and I never went back. And so that's like so great. I really, that just makes, you know, just validates what I'm doing. Um, because as you know, there are some long days and you go, why am I doing this? It's so yeah. much work. But then you get those patients that come back and they're like, they're such a joy and a pleasure that it reminds you exactly why you were doing this. Absolutely. That is just such a satisfying feeling. And I'm so glad you get to feel that every week. Yes. Some weeks more than others, but yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Camille Cash, we have talked about a lot of aspects of mommy makeovers. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners about this procedure or constellation of procedures? So for the listeners, um, the men and the women, I think that sometimes we need permission to take care of ourselves. We need validation that it's okay to sometimes be selfish because we're, we're programmed to give everything to our families. But it is okay for women to be selfish a little bit and to reclaim themselves. Um, and so I want women to know that it's okay. And hopefully you have a partner to help support you in that endeavor. Because when you feel good, you can be better. When you feel good about yourself, you can be a better mother, a better partner, a better wife, whatever it is, because 
you feel good about yourself and that can translate into everything that you do. So I just think that women should feel confident and comfortable in taking time to make themselves look and feel better and, and to give themselves permission for that. I think that's a great philosophy. And it's been such a joy speaking with you. Thank you for being here. No, thank you so much for asking me. And it's so great to see you. And I'm, I'm glad that you're helping to educate the public because there's so much uncertainty and, and misinformation that can be perpetuated that it's important for, for, for people to be empowered with knowledge. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.